as humans, I think we appreciate things more when we know that it was crafted by another human being, by someone who, who cares and takes pride in their work. I mean, people say it was cooked with love or whatever. I think that, that really there's a human connection there. It, it applies to the, to the built spaces. That's Eric Ruggiero of Biophilic Build. He's relatively new to being a contractor. And he contacted me last year when the pod started out and said, this is what I need to hear. I've been after him for a while to get him on. And before we continue on with the sound bites from today's show, I just want to ask you guys again, anytime you're listening to the pod, this season, last season, snap a pic on your phone of your car stereo is my favorite with this pod playing. And then post it somewhere online and tag me. Help get the word out about the pod. Thank you. Now it's back to Eric Ruggiero, Biophilic Build. Yeah, I was just like, I, I got it. I got this under control. And then all of a sudden, it's just, nope. <laughs> so much for that idea. When I first heard it and realized what it meant, it kind of really stuck with me. And I just sort of knew that that was the direction that I wanted to take my business and what I wanted to stand for. You know, Passive House is a building standard of how a building is constructed. Biophilic design is elements that you can implement into the visual design of the building or the feel of a building and how it kind of functions. For me, as someone who didn't go to college, I see certifications as a nice structured way to do some continuing education and kind of change the how people see contractors you know nobody nobody questions the the architect's price when it gives you a, a number for drawing plans or nobody questions the engineer's price right how do we get onto that how do we get viewed on the same level i didn't have anyone to show me what to do like I said before, I was in the union for a long time and I, I got sick of it and, and just quit and left and started my own business out of nowhere without knowing anything about running a business. Well, I, I mean, I do have to say this, your, your podcast has been a huge help. I wanted to come here and encourage those with more experience to keep talking and sharing their knowledge and also to encourage other people that are new like me to, to get out there and, and talk and share their experiences because it's kind of empowering too to start writing writing these forms and putting them together you feel like you have a lot more control going into the next job and then what happens when you have a change order i specifically learned to do it was to not add to the contract price um because it makes it easier for people to kind of wiggle out of them sometimes at the end of a job a good portion of us, if not most of, of the ones that start their own business, probably have it, um, myself included. And uh, it's, it's something that uh, really gets in the way. So people with ADHD are, uh, I think, three times more as likely to start their own business. That, 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 was, that was a huge, you know, a huge moment for me. Um, realizing what it what it can be like to not uh be be saddled with everything yes i remember that 
expectation management is something that I'm still really learning myself. Um, I'm not, I'm still not great with it. Because they're not thinking about asking those questions. They actually just are already at the finish line when you get to their house. I want to see people advocate to manufacturers and suppliers to try and help them and, and figure out ways to use less packaging. How do we get people to agree to pay more money for less waste? The, the generation in this industry now is, is uh, looking at it differently. I want to have some space to, that I can try different, different uh, experiments, we'll say. Tell me why you think skilled trades matter. Because we can't build everything with robots. People need to have their hands involved. If you're arguing about whether it's in the contract or not, you're already too late. Hey guys, my next guest appreciates that connection that our homes have to their environment. He believes that a home should be more than efficient and comfortable. It should also be healthy. And if there's not a tool for the job, he makes it or retools it. And so let me introduce to you out of the five boroughs, the greater New York metropolitan area. It's Eric Ruggiero of Biophilic Build. How's it going, Eric? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me join you. Yeah. What, what, are, you, what are you getting up to today? Uh, well, for once in my life, I'm not working on a Saturday, which is pretty nice. I was just sitting here thinking about how usually I'm running out the door over to the project I had next door, building uh, my neighbor's whole house over there. And that's uh, wrapped up now. So I don't <laughs> have some free time. Um, which actually... The last time I was over there, I was listening to one of your most recent podcasts, the one with Mark Willie, and uh, yeah, I was standing in the basement finishing up painting something and, and listening to him talk about how that, that time when he was at a, a party or something at, at a project that he had finished, and just the emotional connections between these spaces we spend so much of our time in. I spent almost a year of my life in some of these big projects. And uh, that kind of really, really struck something with me hearing someone else. I thought that only happened to me. <laughs> I didn't know that that was, uh, that was a common thing. Yeah, I, I, I was particularly struck by that when Mark brought that up too uh, in that recording. And it definitely gave me some pause. Um, I, I feel like for myself, there's that. You are, you know, there's that creative extension of you that, that goes into your work and then, and then it's like a piece of it's left uh, when the project ends because you put so much of yourself into, into that creative process. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's almost, like a, it's almost like a grieving process when you walk away. 
from from something you've been on for so long yeah i've you know i've <laughs> seeing the at, at the end the big projects like that i like you know standing in the basement which is finished with a concrete slab a tiled floor sheetrock walls and paint and lighting and you know i remember months ago standing there and it was a uh, i was standing in mud uh, i was in there when hurricane ida came through and flooded it and i was in my knees up you know in water <laughs> mm. uh, flooding down there and it was a, a hole through to the roof and now it's a finished house that someone can live in <laughs> that must have been crazy to be there during that time uh yeah that was a little bit uh exciting um you actually kind of heard the uh i thought i had things figured out for a minute when when it that thing started flooding and the rain was really coming down and i i managed to get a sump pump and dig a little pit in the center of the of the basement and the dirt floor and pump out the water through the backyard and I, was, I saw the water level going down i was like all right i got this i you know i figured it out i'm gonna everything's gonna be fine and then i heard gurgling in the sewer mm. and i knew what that sound was <laughs> and then two seconds later it was just like all hell broke loose and the whole basement was filled with two feet of water <laughs> and there was nothing oh, wow. i gave up i was like there's there's nothing I can do at this point. Everyone's flooded. So yeah, it's like, I, I got it. I got this under control. And then all of a sudden it's just, Nope. <laughs> so much for that idea. Oh man. Yeah. That was a, that was kind of a crazy moment. When mother nature takes over, mm-hmm. overwhelms the sewer. Um, so that kind of takes me to my first question, actually the name of your business um kind of evokes well it's a statement so tell me about or tell the the audience about biophilia and uh biophilic design so it's um the reason i chose the name actually um it's meant to be a statement it's meant to be uh there's, there's two, you know, there's some people that know what the word is. Um, typically right now, that would only be people, generally people in, the word's getting used more frequently now, but um, generally it was only people maybe in like architecture or landscape design or, you know, uh, horticulture that really knew what the word was. And even then it was still pretty new. Um, and then there's other people that have no idea what it is. So they ask me about it and then I get to tell them about it, <laughs> which is nice. Um, but uh, when I first heard it, and realized what it meant, it kind of really stuck with me. And I just sort of knew that that was the direction that I wanted to take my business and what I wanted to stand for, I guess. Um, (laughs) Basically what it is, biophilia, the word itself, um, literally translates to love of life or love of living things. Um, And it's it's a word it's a theory um, that humans have an innate connection to nature Um, that we, because of nature and our connection with it, we have been able to survive and thrive throughout the ages, basically. Um, There's a whole bunch of nuanced things to it as well that you can get into, but that's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) Um, But basically that that's it is that we, we do better because of of nature in a sense when we're around nature um and uh then there's different kind of facets of that and one of them is biophilic design which is basically 
uh, in simple terms, using biophilia in the built environment. Um, and you can, again, there's some kind of like, I don't know if they're guidelines, well, guidelines might be the word to say, but uh, different things you can do in building a building, different ideas you can incorporate into the structure, the way it's built, the way it works, the way it uh, changes throughout the day in the seasons and all these other things that mimic and bring in parts of the natural world. Um, it's not meant to be like you're trying to build a building that when you walk in, it feels like you're in a jungle or something. It's not like that. Um, there's, there's plenty of examples of it now. It's, 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 uh, you know, becoming a more understood and, and used thing in, in, in building. Um, my goal with it is I'm, I'm a builder. I'm not an architect, but I, I did get into this because I, I, uh, I really like the design side and I wanted to have as much, be as close to clients as possible and be able to be involved in that, that part of the process um, or to steer people in a certain direction or, you know, give them advice on, on what they should do with their homes. Um, so that's kind of my hope with the, with, with the business really. Now from our previous conversation before we recorded, you were talking about passive house a bit and our biophilia or biophilic design, is it linked to passive house in any way? They, um, those two things, biophilic design and passive house, um, they're not mutually exclusive to one another, but they definitely complement each other. Um, they're two, you know, passive house is a building standard of how a building is constructed. Biophilic design is elements that you can implement into the visual design of the building or the feel of a building and how it kind of functions to add to it. I actually first learned about one of the first times I learned about biophilic design um, was when I was taking my, my passive house certification. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned about the international living future Institute and the living building challenge. And that right there struck a lot of uh, interest in me. And in the middle of the class, I start, you know, Googling and figuring out what it is. So, um, so yeah, they're definitely talked about, it's talked about a lot in, in the passive house circle. Um, but I mean, you can, you can build a passive house without any biophilic elements, um, or at least without even considering it as a design element. Um, but they're both, uh, I think they're related in ways because they're both, they're both, you know, passive house looks at the home and the building as an entire system that works together and, uh, using biophilic design in a building um, also reminds us that the rest of the world and nature is the same way too, that everything is connected, um, and affects different things. Um, and that's, that's why I want to teach people more about it. And, and yeah, I think one, one kind of builds on the other one. Um, you can, you can do you know, high performance building, 
high performance house and it can just be a regular old modern house, or you can understand the way that your home and your self as a person are connected to nature and the benefits that you get from that, um, from being connected to nature. And that's, that's where biophilic design kind of comes in. Cool. So they're not, they're not inextricably linked, but there's definitely some elements that can be brought in. And that's, that's kind of what I was after there. Um, and are you like a passive house certified builder? Yes, I, I got certified um, a couple years ago. I have become really encouraging um, of people getting certifications and also trying to encourage people to build certified buildings, um, which you, you don't need to. You know, People ask all the time, do I need to get certification to build a passive house? No, you don't. If you have someone who knows what they're doing and you trust them, you can build a passive house without certification. Um, I encourage it because I think it helps to spread awareness and it adds to the you know, directory of buildings and gives examples of buildings that have been built. Um, and helps kind of just grow the, the, the community as a whole. Um, the, more, the more information that you have in that database, the better um, when it comes to certifying buildings. Certifying people, I think is also, also you don't have to be a, you don't have to get certified as a passive house builder to build a passive house. Um, but I think it's, for me as someone who didn't, go to college, I see certifications as a nice structured way to do some continuing education and kind of change the, how people see contractors from, you know, the, just some guy with a dirty truck and some tools who's probably going to rip me off and, and, you know, run away with my money <laughs> to professionals. Um, you know, nobody, nobody questions the, the architect's price when it gives you a, a number for drawing plans or nobody questions the engineer's price, right? Because uh, those guys have, you know, one's a registered architect and a professional engineer with stamps and seals and 10 years of school. Um, you know, how do we get onto that? How do we get viewed on the same level? as the same type of professional. Um, and to me, having certifications is one way to do that, to appear a little more professional to someone, um, to show that you've you know, gone through some sort of training or research or whatever it is, education to, to have an additional knowledge in that field. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows that you have initiative to, to grow beyond what you already yeah. know. Also, if you're looking to get work in certain areas too, it, a lot of times you get certified and you know you, they put you on the website and whatever. I've gotten tons of emails from people. Oh, I found you on the FIAS website. I found you, you know, I'm, I'm also, a, I'm a FIAS Raider. I'm a FIAS certified builder. I just got my, my um, Living Future accreditation with uh, the Living Future Institute. Um, so now people, architects and other people can, can, they look through those websites a lot to look for, for, for builders. Um, it's a, it's a, it's also a way to, to bring in some business too. 
and, and make new connections. And so your goals with the business are to uh, build new passive house buildings. Are, are you also going to be in the retrofitting? Because that's oh, a tricky, absolutely. that's a tricky one. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, as much as I want to, so I haven't built new yet. Um, I've only done retrofits and renovations. And mm-hmm. I don't think I can, aside from, unless I get so sick of the dust, <laughs> I don't want to be in them anymore. Uh, I just think there's so much, everyone says, you know, building new is easy. It's, you know, put some sticks together out of the ground and, and there's not much to it. Renovations and retrofits are a whole different there's a new problem to solve every single day. There's a new issue that comes up. There's something that's what brought me into construction, into being a contractor and running my own business was uh, I hated doing the same thing every day. Um, I spent 15 years in the union as a, in the finishing trades as a paper hanger installing wallpaper <laughs> actually. And it was the same exact thing over and over and over every day. Um, so this is what I love about renovations. Is, is no house, every house is different. Every job is different. Um, yeah, it's, you know, th- that's what's attracting about it. I agree that, excuse me, I agree that uh, renovations and remodels are much more challenging because you have to, you have to make something fit into at least whatever structurally engineered part of the house exists as opposed to (laughs) right. Well, yeah, there's always that the, the, the hidden treasures, um, where you go, Oh, wow. I can't believe this house is still standing. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but fitting, fitting new materials into existing space is challenging uh, mentally and, and definitely more so than creating a brand new space where you can map it all out. Funny, funny little thing uh, from doing renovation work, uh, there, there's plenty of times where I've come across stuff you start taking something apart and you see how it was put together and you're like, wow, how is this thing still standing? How did this have two feet of snow on the roof every year for the past 50, you know, 20 years or whatever it is. And it didn't fall down. Like, you know, the, the code today says you can't build this way. Otherwise it's not going to work, but it clearly, it's kind of crazy seeing that sometimes you're like this, we, we, we build in these ways being like, that's never going to stand up. And, and it, it does all the time. <laughs> Amazingly. How are you dealing with understanding the contracting side of the business, the business side? For instance, mine was guessing because there weren't many tools around. I bought every book I could possibly find, but that had its limitations. Um, well, I, I mean, I do have to say this, your, your podcast has been a huge help. Um, I'll fully admit, I'm not afraid to admit that, uh, you know, I'm still very new at this. Uh, I've only had my business for four years now um, and I've made a million mistakes already. Um, I've made a million mistakes. I've had a lot of fights with my wife (laughs) over things. Um, And there's, yeah, there's not really any way to um, 
I didn't have anyone to show me what to do. Uh, I kind of just, like I said before, I was in the union for a long time and I, I got sick of it and, and just quit and left and started my own business out of nowhere without knowing anything about running a business. Um, I figured, you know, hey, I can uh, put some wood together pretty good and I'm, I'm good at it. So uh, people want to pay me for it and I should be fine. <laughs> that's, that's literally how I, I went into it. Yeah, a lot of guessing, a lot of trying different things and seeing what works um, with, with, without someone to guide you. Um, like I said, I was, you know, being new at it. I've uh, just in the last uh, year, even two years, year or so, listening to, to, to you from day one. Um, it's kind of what brought me here and made me want to be on the show was to some of the things I learned on your earlier episodes that I've now incorporated into my business practices. Um, I wanted to come here and encourage those with more experience to keep talking and sharing their knowledge because there are people listening and it's extremely beneficial and helpful. And also to encourage other people that are new like me to, to get out there and, and talk and share their experiences because what are your biggest struggles then? You know, because you are in this learning process. We're always learning. I'm telling you, after all my years of experience, and now I've got this podcast, I've learned a lot from my guests. I wish I'd had them all on a long time ago. But uh, what, what are your main struggles? You know, being new and, and kind of small, the biggest, the hardest part is uh, trying to as you say, wear all the hats and, and learn at what point it's appropriate to outsource things. Um, and, and to, to let go of those things, to allow someone else to, to take on some of that work. Um, you know, when, when you're, when you're small and it's just you and another guy or a couple employees, it's very easy to think that, you know, you're, you're small enough that you can handle everything or that things have to be, you know, for me, I want everything to be a certain way. Um, not so much in the, in the day-to-day, -day, like physical work of the business, but like when it comes to bookkeeping or things like that, I want, you know, all of my accounts to look a certain way. I want everything to be organized a certain way. So when I look at it, I can see it, but realizing that if you, realizing that if you outsource those things, you don't need to think of them in your way because someone else is handling it. Um, whether that be payroll or bookkeeping or, you know, whatever taxes, all that stuff. Um, you don't, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be organized your way. Someone else is being paid to deal with it. <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of a big thing for me. Um, was letting someone else handle stuff their way. One of my, I guess one of my biggest mistakes is that for years, I, I didn't have a contract at all. Um, I didn't think it was necessary. I didn't realize how important it was. Um, I had a lot of clients that were, I felt very friendly with people. So had the mind, that, oh, they'll never, you know, screw me over. They're, you know, they like me too much. They're too nice. They wouldn't do it. You know, everything will be fine. Um, until it wasn't, <laughs> and you know, you get, you get burned good once and you, you make sure that it's never going to happen again. 
you start writing notes and things of, of well, what I did is I started writing notes whenever I would hear someone speak or think of something in the middle of a job or uh, listening to a podcast or something. And someone would mention something about a contract and Ooh, that's good. I'm going to write that down and put that in there. It's kind of empowering too, to start writing, writing these forms and putting them together. You feel like you have a lot more control going into the next job. Um, that you can set to, to me, a contract isn't just a piece of paper that I can point at when something goes wrong and say, well, it's there in the contract. So that's, you know, the legally binding thing. It's, it's a reminder to me. If I, if I have a 20 page contract, I can review that. And it's a reminder at the beginning of a job of the things that I need to tell a client to set the expectations for how things are going to go. Um, that's why it's become so important to me. Not, not for the legal reasons, really. Just as a, as a format for the job. I concur with that. I, I, it's kind of a guide. Um, and when it's well-written, it's a guide for the client, too, that they can refer yeah. back to. It took me a while to get there with mine. Um, but you, you hit it with that. The legalities of it aren't as they're important if you got in a lawsuit i'm grateful i've never been in one of those but i like that it brings more questions more clarity because we think we're saying we think we're being clear but i know that when i've had conversations with clients or even subcontractors who i know well we like look at each other we say it and we walk away and we have totally different perception of what's going to happen. We just don't, we were not even remotely on the same page, even though we thought we were completely handshake, whatever. And so that getting that contract written in a, in a really understandable way, right away, even before signing, like for them to review brings out great questions and it helps you as a builder, get your, get their vision uh out there as well yeah yeah like i said that the, you know it's it's a structure for um it, it's it's really to me it's notes as to what what do i need to tell this person going into this this job with them um it's it's a set of notes really <laughs> to remind me of like you know this is what i need to tell them <laughs> and then what happens when you have a change order is that um, in your contract that that, that they're going to get that they're going to get dinged for change orders or, or how do you deal with that? Yeah. So what I, and this was actually, I, I learned this um, from my father uh, who he told me um, it took me a while to figure out exactly how to do it. Um, I actually, I, I didn't even start writing <laughs> to, to be honest. I didn't start writing change over change orders until uh, a year ago or so I had never even there's things that would come up in a job that I would be like oops I was supposed to you know that's my fault I should have you know known that now I just need to do it so many times I've lost so much money just thinking well now I just need to do this thing because I forgot to bring it up earlier mm -hmm. it didn't even occur to me that I could say hey I need more money for this <laughs> um I felt bad I, I you know um I didn't I didn't I wasn't good at that uh and the first time you do it, 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 
it's again, it's empowering. It feels good to kind of take some control and realize how you do things. Anyway, um, yeah, no, in, in the contract, there's an area that, you know, talks about change orders. Um, the way that I specifically learned to do it was to not add to the contract price because um, it makes it easier for people to kind of wiggle out of them sometimes at the end of a job and just, you know, you come to the end of the contract and all of a sudden there's $10,000 in change orders and they just decide not to pay it. And to go to court over 10 grand is to someone like me, 10 grand is a lot, but it would cost me more to, you know, go to court over that. So it just might not make sense. So what I do is I write them as separate. It's in my contract that they'll be written as a separate contract. It's a separate job. Um, so that way you, you know, I take a deposit. I either get paid in full up to a certain price or take a deposit on it. And then when that portion of the work is completed, that's paid in full as well. It's a separate contract. Mm-hmm. And it kind of keeps to my, in my mind, keeps things cleaner. The original contract price stays the original contract price for that job and change orders are just completely separate invoices. I invoice them separately and they're paid separately. It has nothing to do with the overall job invoice. I like it. That um, sounds, that sounds neat and clean. Sounds like a great way to yeah. go. Yeah. And you know, you got paid for that change order. You know, you don't want to be into a job, 50 change orders in, you know, whatever it is. And, and all of a sudden you've, you've only covered some of the material costs for that change order and you didn't even get paid the labor yet. You know, I was listening to your latest episode with Casey and uh, hearing him talk about having ADHD. Um, the, the more people I listen to and talk to in this industry, I'm becoming more and more convinced that, a good portion of us, if not most of, of the ones that start their own business probably have it, um, myself included. And uh, it's, it's something that's uh, really gets in the way, um, but also can uh, kind of give some extra, I don't know, abilities are the right word, but um, yeah. I, or lack of a better word, let's say abilities to do things. Um, so people with ADHD are, uh, I think, three times more as likely to start their own business than others. Um, and uh, particularly something like what I did where I left a secure job um, with benefits and a pension and an annuity and all that and just quit and started my own <laughs> my own small business. Um, not knowing that you have it and doing anything to try and manage and going into a business is when I hear other people talk about their struggles with running a business and look at mine and how closely related there are, that's what makes me think that a lot of contractors have ADHD because everyone talks about, um, you know, we want to, we want to just build stuff. We don't want to do the business side of things, or I'm no good with computers. I can't take care of my taxes or I'm, I'm constantly three years behind on my taxes. <laughs> I don't know if I should admit that publicly, but you know, um, I'm always at least a year plus behind on taxes just because I just, I, I can't stay up on it. Um, 
But uh, it's, I think if more people were willing to, try and talk about it and and make it normal and and it, more people could recognize that maybe or accept that they're someone with ADHD so yeah i was actually um recently formally diagnosed with ADHD um it's something that i have has been suspected for a while um, as a kid, I was diagnosed with it and I kind of forgot about it, um, until I started trying to run a business. Things were, you know, my life had its struggles, but it really, really came out and became apparent, um, in both the business and my personal life when I started a business, um, trying to run things and kind of thinking that I was doing everything correctly. Or if I knew I wasn't doing it correctly, just thinking there's no other way to do it. I just have to do it and figure it out as I go. Um, and uh, accepting and recognizing that I have this, you know, neurological difference <laughs> um, from some people was a huge help. Um, just just knowing that alone, I was able to start to to uh, just recognize certain things that I was doing. Um, but yeah, it makes, it makes running a business very, very difficult. Um, I think a lot of, I think a lot of contractors uh, and business owners have it and don't realize because um, it kind of will be less, uh, you know, there is a bit of a spectrum to it. Um, it can be less severe for some people or, or show up in different ways. Um, some people have a more hyperactive kind of symptoms and others have more of a, uh, inattentive symptoms or combinations or different things like that. So uh, listening to other business owners and other contractors talk uh, about their, some of the mistakes they've made and the things they've done um, and, and realizing how I've, done the same things um like uh one of the biggest things is everybody everybody has i hear a lot of people talk about how uh you know starting the jobs is the easy part it's really exciting when you get to you know, demo and taking everything apart and, and you get you can get through most of the job all the really fun easy stuff um but if you've ever gotten towards the end of a job and things really slow down and you can't quite get through the, the punch list items and all the little bits and pieces and there's different tasks to do all over that are just little tiny things. Um, and if you find it really difficult to, to, get, to get through that portion of a job and finish the job, um, or you're, you're really excited to start the next job <laughs> before the last one's finished and that drags on for a long time, uh, you might want to look into talking to someone because <laughs> um, that's, that's a big thing that, that shows up in contracting. Uh, if you have ADHD, um, being able to finish stuff, that's the, you know, the shiny new thing is the, uh, is the kind of the joke about it. And, and, you know, and it shows up in, in the business side, running the business side, 
the book, the bookkeeping work, the computer work. Um, you know, I, I heard, uh, I was listening to your episode with Casey and was hear, hearing him talk about, um, he mentioned something about how, you know, other people are able to put together a, an invoice or an estimate and, you know, one, two, three with no problem. And, you know, it takes me 10 hours to sit there and, and figure out how to write a, a simple little estimate for a, a bathroom, <laughs> um, things like that. Uh, uh, keeping up on, on the, you know, now I've gotten better at it. I've, I've kind of implemented little systems and things, or just, you, you kind of have to force yourself. You realize you have to, you have to realize how much of uh, an impact what the, the way you're managing things has and kind of force yourself to just do it differently. Um, I know it sounds easy. It's, it's not, but uh, it's easy to say, but like receipts and tracking expenses and things like that. Um, you know, you, you end up with a pile of receipts on the desk that don't get entered. Um, and then when you do enter them, you can get like, when, when I started the business, I hear people talk about, you know, uh, put all your receipts aside and take one day a week. And then you sit there and enter them all. That doesn't happen with, with ADHD. Um, the receipts just build up and you might do two of them at a time. And then you, you never get around to it because you can't, your brain is unable to just sit there and focus on these, these unrewarding tasks is what it is. Um, yeah. So how do you do, what do you, what do you do to deal with that? Because I had to, I came up with the system kind of on my own, but I also had a contractor who had much more experience than me one day just call me out and say, what do you do about, what are you doing about this? And it's about receipts. And, you know, a lot of people are paperless now, blah, 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 but I'm not. And my accountant is not, and that's probably the biggest deal. They, she wants to see everything hard copy. So, um, but I have a way to do it on the daily. So everything winds up in this job folder. So I can, I can follow and track the job. And then I know where everything, I know where all the money's going, but I can relate to that stack. Cause when I started, it was just a stack a month, a monthly stack, you know, not a weekly. What I found kind of has helped me. Um, it's not, it's not easy to do because the, the, the having ADHD, you, you, like I said, the shiny new thing, you want the new exciting thing. Um, it's a, it's a, a dopamine deficiency, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so you, you, you need to do like something that immediately makes you feel good. So sitting there entering receipts for 10 hours, <laughs> not going to immediately make you feel good. Um, finishing one little tiny punch list item on a job does not finish the job and feel good. Um, I've managed to kind of, I'm still not perfect with it, um, by far, but I've managed to kind of, uh, lists help for one. Um, if you, I like using little, you know, some sort of app. I started with, uh, using Asana for tracking 
job progress and stuff because it was free to use. Now I've moved on to other software, but um, something like that it was easy to use and you could make your, your list of all your punch list items. And as you go through little things, you can check them off. And even the sun is really good with something like that because you check off three and you get this little like rainbow unicorn thing that flies across the screen. And it's, you know, happy, like a, <laughs> a little thing to like make you feel good about it. Um, you you kind of just have to train yourself that like what comes after doing those little tasks or, or what doing those little tasks mean um, is actually a big deal. And eventually you learn to feel good about those little things. I'm not sure if I'm ex explaining it in the best way, but um, you know, I, I, I do find it easier now after um, recognizing and accepting that I, I have ADHD was, was a huge thing because now I can, I can look at all those little tasks better and, uh, and feel good about getting them done because I know, I know how difficult it was before I knew how my brain worked, I guess. Mm. Um, that's, that's what it is. Understanding that this is the way my brain sees things was able to make me think about them differently. I'm a strong believer that pushing yourself through things is very important uh, for you to process all that. And, but I'm also a strong believer in a bookkeeper and a CPA because there's certain things I'm not as good at it. So why not have someone else do it? It feels so damn good to pay someone else to do things for you. Um, <laughs> whether that be, you know, bookkeeping taxes, whatever, or simply, I have a certain standard of, of quality of work that I want to see. I know exactly how I want things done. Um, so I would always try to do everything myself um, from demo to painting. And in my last big job, I, you know, had hired sheet rockers and tapers and painters and I did most of the work, but um, hiring painters at the end of the job, and getting to just let them do their thing and I can go focus on something else and do some trim downstairs or whatever while they're painting up. It was so good to pay someone <laughs> to do some of the work and take some of the load off. That, that, that was, that was a huge, you know, a huge moment for me. Um, realizing what it, what it can be like to not uh, be, be saddled with everything. Yes. I remember that and, and it's a great place to be, you know, the business struggle stuff always ends up circling back to expectation management because while you're learning, while you're growing, you have to bring your clients along with you and you have to learn to communicate all the new stuff, you know, and where does that, what does that look like to you? Like where, where does, where does the expectation management start and end? I know it's a big, like just a big goober to throw out there, but. Expectation management starts, you know, on the, on the very first time you meet someone, um, you know, like they say, uh, first impressions are everything. So I, I think, um, not just, you know, being on the phone with someone five minutes and 
yeah, yeah, I'll be there, you know, tomorrow or whatever it is. I, I would rather from that first phone call, that first email, anything, they kind of start to understand how you operate in some way. Um, you know, just, just so that they know they can't call you at any time or, or I'm on the job from, from these hours to these hours. So I'm not, you can't expect me to come to your house to give you an estimate or, you know, look at your project uh, during those hours. You have to schedule it in these time blocks here um, that I'm free. That's when I do my, my, my visits. Um, I know for everyone, that's not entirely possible, but uh, expectation management is a constant thing throughout the entire from from the, the first time you talk to them till they you know hopefully leave you a good review <laughs> you know what, what what are some things that you like to 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 lay out for people as you noted in the first season of the pod i have a lot of shows where i just for me it starts in the first phone call where i'm laying out that i'm only going to be available at certain times uh to discuss a project but i want to know right away how far they are in their thinking so i'm working on questions to to suss that out to see if i even want to go to their house and then once i'm at their house if we've made it past that they're not a tire kicker they could still be a tire kicker but right away you want to explain you want to start explaining what some of the parameters are when you're working together uh, that there'll be subcontractors, there'll be a, a mess. You know, if they've only got one bathroom and you're remodeling it, you got to bring the toilet back in every night. You have to talk about all this stuff. You have to talk about where the drop cloths are going to be, what the house is going to look like at the end of the day, every day in a remodel. And because they're not thinking about asking those questions, they actually just are already at the finish line when you get to their house. They, if they've never had a remodel, they have no idea what a mess it's going to be done. So, yeah, they, so you have to, you, you have to, you have to draw the whole thing out for them. And if your client's ADHD, you need to get around it. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta grab them, you know? So, and it's a, it's a constant process of managing expectations when things change on the way, uh, unforeseen circumstances. Okay, here's a good one. When I find something in a remodel that's like, oh, wow, there's a big structural problem here or whatever, some, some surprise. Before I run and tell the client, I think about it, come up with a plan and price it. So I can talk to them about that right away. Okay. And... I say, while we're here, we need to deal with this. This is what it costs. Or I give them one or two options, not too many options. Cause you know, if you give people too many options, they just spin out. But, but I think getting on top of those things, pricing it out and thinking it through makes your message very much more clear. And, and they respect it that much more. I definitely in the past have been like, Oh, I run to them and say, look at this. And they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll tell you later. And then they, and then they lose sleep that night. And they also, they start losing confidence in the job in the work that's being done or they can not everybody, but they can start to lose confidence. If you're 
just coming into the room and and crying wolf you know what i mean so so i think those little uh little expectation management things along the way make your life way easier in the end and and when you and when you're approaching the finish line they've got a much better understanding of everything that went went on and how their money's being spent yeah so this is this is what i was kind of touching on earlier with the contracts too that like i don't i don't view a contract as oh, you know the legal document i view it as my notes and my reminders for for what to tell someone um because I, I won't ever remember everything i need to tell someone to uh you know that their kids can't come running into the construction site when you know like uh there's, there's just things you forget that that you don't you know there's there's too much to know to remember well, yeah, I keep, that's something I started keeping track of to make sure. I mean, I have a checklist for, for conversations, basically. And these are the things, these, these are the ground rules. Like, if your kids are going to be around, we, you know, we have, to, we have to deal with that in a certain way. Pets are another one. You know, some people think it's fine that their dog is on your heels all the time. But if you're not a dog owner, or you're not used to dogs being on job site, you're going to trip over that dog. Yeah. As friendly as it is or whatever the deal is, you know, you, you have to set those boundaries with the client. And, and so I, I definitely have a checklist. So I don't overlook those things anymore because, because you will go from job to job and you'll definitely space little things like that. Unless you check yourself or you're just someone who can remember everything, but I don't know anyone like that. Yeah, I, I like that little business. idea that you that you do. Um, you know, having everything in the contract is is nice, but then breaking out the you know these are like the twenty or thirty quick little items that I need to remember to tell someone into like a little you know pre job checklist is is it's a good way to go about it. I like that. I on a you know reading through the entire contract with someone. <laughs> oh, I still read through the entire contract. I read it yeah. out loud. I read it out loud. <laughs> yeah. I have a friend who's a lawyer um, and I've sought his advice, just, you know, kind of checking myself and checking my contract. And, and he said that in his experience, 95% of people do not read contracts. They just sign it. I would believe that. Yep. And, and it really got me thinking that was, that was, a number of years ago now and and there's been so many miscommunications i've had where it's because the person didn't read it and one thing i always urge people to never do is be like oh it's in the contract like you have to explain it's in the mm -hmm. contract you can't be like mm -hmm. it's in the contract this is the way it is because you'll that that relationship will not end well that project will right. will will suck from that point on well that's it's, what i was saying and, and earlier so, and so that's why I actually, before we sign, I walk them through the whole thing. And, and I was on Kyle Hunt's uh, podcast and he was like, man, that's, that sounds boring, but I don't, <laughs> I don't care. I, I want that. I want to look at them when we talk about change orders, I want them to look at me and see that there's a penalty, a fee 
not penalty, but a fee. Uh, I want them to see what their responsibilities are and, and how the project can't function without them performing their responsibilities too. And know exactly what their out-of-pocket costs are because that's something that I guarantee almost every contractor is going to screw up at the beginning. People are going to think things are included. Aren't they? they think that lights are included. They think that you, you, that the appliances installs are included, you know, and you have to price all that stuff in and, and make it obvious to them. So those are, those are big snags that the people hit at the beginning. And I'm, you know, I, I hit them. That's why I'm talking about it. Uh, that's what I was saying. You know, I, I've said it a couple of times already. It's, the contract isn't just so you can point at it later and go, well, it's there. Because if you're at that point, you're already screwed. Yeah. If you're arguing about whether it's in the contract or not, you're already too late. It's just a set of notes to, you know, to, to, talk, to tell someone. So, Eric, let's move on to the construction industry in general. And tell me what you see as like, Besides, besides the labor crisis, is there anything else that we need to address as a, as a industry, as a whole? Um, wastefulness, <laughs> uh, construction is incredibly wasteful, um, from just the amount of, st I think, so I forget where I heard, but I, uh, it takes somewhere for every house that you build that that volume of space is occupied in a landfill through building that house, which is just insane because how like, we just we put all the materials into the house how did we occupy that much space in the landfill at the same time like that doesn't make but there's so many things that people don't think about um i was uh and it's not just materials too there's uh, water energy all these other things but it, in, construction is insanely wasteful and we have i don't have all the answers but we have we definitely have methods to solve this that um we have the technology and the ability to to do this differently um but it, it's time and money and change um but uh you know i was doing a project recently and the and the the, the cabinets all got delivered and just unpacking the cabinets alone i ended up with a mountain of cardboard and foam and packaging tape and plastic and all this other stuff and i'm does it really, do we need to be, I don't know. It's just how, what, what are ways that we, we can, can, can look at how we use things on a job site and um, how manufacturers make things and just to reduce the amount of, of unnecessary waste. Um, this is something I spent a lot of time thinking about trying to, you know, how to, uh, 
to, to educate people on this and, and get them thinking about it as well. Um, you know, some of the things I, that come to mind, uh, as a contractor, you can, you know, we, we could, we could estimate a little bit better, I think, um, to not buy excess materials or not allow for so much waste. Um, that's not really the big thing, I think, but it would help. Um, it's somewhere to start. I want to see people advocate to manufacturers and suppliers to try and help them and, and figure out ways to use less packaging. Something I see a lot of is uh, energy waste as well um, on job sites. And, and just, so like what I like to do is I see some companies where when they need materials and they need a delivery, they'll put in an order for, you know, 10 boxes of nails and that's it. And a truck will come from the lumber yard with 10 boxes of nails and nothing else instead of trying to figure out and, and bulk order stuff or get bigger deliveries at once and do less of them. How do we get people to agree to pay more money for less waste? Can we get people to pay me to pay a guy to separate all of the construction trash um, into, you know, wood that can be reused and plastic or whatever and um, things like that. Can we, can we change the perception of people? Like when I, when I, when I buy things um, and they come in three layers of packaging, I'm furious because I'm like, I don't care if there's one tiny little scratch on this thing or something. It doesn't need, to, it, it's not necessary for this product. Like, you know, finished kitchen cabinets, I understand, sure. Um, things like that, you know, there's certain products that you can't, but there's so much excess things like that. And I think a lot of it is, is the perception people see something, they want to get something delivered and unpack it and go, wow, they really took a lot of care in packaging this. This is really, you know, really well, this wasn't going to get damaged at all, but it's oh, half of it's completely unnecessary. I like the sounds of it. I like, you know, moving that big ship in the right direction. That's the, that's the challenge is that big changes are very incremental. Like I said, I but, don't have, I, I know I don't have all the answers. Um, it's, it's not an easy thing to, to do, but I want to bring these, bring these questions up and talk about them with people and get people talking about this stuff. I know there's others out there that are aware of how wasteful we are. Uh, <laughs> I know it's a thing, um, but it's going to take more than a couple people to, to figure out a solution. Do you have ambitions for the industry outside of making a living and doing your best work? I don't know if I, given the, the, the time to plan, I think I can, I can come up with some, some useful, uh, some useful talks, but that's just, that, that's me. Yeah. I want to, I want to start talking more. I want to be um, out in the public space more. Um, starting conversations and getting people thinking about things. And the, the generation in this industry now is, is uh, looking at it differently. Um, you know, we're trying to change the, the way that job sites are and the, 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 the culture that exists currently. Um, and uh, the way to do that is just to be open about things and, and just talk as much as possible. Um, 
but yeah, uh, beside that, um, so right now we're, uh, I've stopped taking on jobs for myself. I'm not working for myself. I took a project management position with a buddy of mine, Chad, at uh, First Dunes. Um, so I've been working with them for a few months now. And uh, my wife and I are going to be packing up here in Brooklyn and moving upstate to Ithaca uh, probably in another year or so. Um, we just, you know, have been in the city my whole life and kind of have uh, a different way of life I want to have. A little bit, a little bit more space for the, the dogs to run around and enjoy the outdoors. And, uh, you know, being well, one of my goals moving upstate and having some land is I, I would like to build a, uh, a, a teaching space of sorts. Um, I would like to, to build a large enough workshop that I can host events and, and not necessarily have like an apprenticeship program, but host different, different events and things and, and try and get people to come in and, and learn about um, whether it's basic carpentry skills to, uh, you know, building houses out of straw and, you know, hemp or whatever, and different materials. And I want to have some space to, that I can try different, different uh, experiments, we'll say. Um, I'm, I, I'm someone who likes to tinker with things and, and try them out for myself and, and, you know, mix things up and see how, see what happens and just see what, see how it goes. I don't know, hopefully my way of doing a little bit more than just building got into this because I didn't like the lack of creativeness allowed in the, in the unions um, and wanted to have a little more say in, in, you know, what I, what I do and what goes on. Caring, giving, you know, giving a crap about what you're doing and how it might affect someone else. What I want to say, like what comes to mind when you ask, what do I value most? Like I said before, was, was what comes to mind was caring people who, who care about where they live and how they live and understanding how everything is connected. Okay. We all have a lot of mentors along the way. And sometimes you don't realize it till they're out of our lives. Who would you single out as a, as a mentor to you? My father. Um, that would be, he's, he's been the one person I've been able to, 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 you know, call when I, it's, it's funny because I look at, you know, I, I would say he, he's been my mentor, but, uh, you know, years ago I would ask him for advice on building and construction and other things. And now, now I think I've surpassed his, his, his skills and he calls me. Um, and if it wasn't for, for his, his work ethic and, and his uh, history in, in construction and carpentry that I, I think I would have even, I don't think I would have my business today. What would be your advice Looking now where you are with your business and everything, what would be your advice to someone who's coming into it? Actually, if someone were to have the opportunity, I would probably recommend if you really want to start the business, start it, make a couple mistakes, and then go work for someone else for a little while. 
because it's the opportunity that I had right now. And having that, having made the mistakes, made some mistakes and having some time off to now reflect on them and look back at it and figure out what to do moving forward. It's, it's a, it's the relief and it's been, you have the time to, to stop and look at stuff now. Um, whereas if you just work for someone else and then start your own business, yeah, you might have some extra skills and, and a little bit of experience, but you, you don't, you don't have that time to reflect on things. I didn't, um, I didn't work for other people for very long, but I also didn't look at how they ran their businesses before I started mine. I reflected on some of what I thought they had been doing when I was getting mine going, but I would have, it would have paid me, it would have been beneficial if I had paid more attention to what they were doing right and wrong, but I wasn't that thoughtful. I was just working for someone. And, exactly. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have that long-term vision yet. Tell me why you think skilled trades matter. Because we can't build everything with robots. People need to have their hands involved. As humans, I think we appreciate things more when we know that it was crafted by another human being, by someone who, who cares and takes pride in their work. When you see that with people, People pay more for houses with, with higher levels of craftsmanship rather than some, you know, a mobile home, a manufactured home um, with no, no details and no character and no nothing. And uh, you, you need skilled people to produce that kind of work. Um, you know, when, when someone has passion in the work that they're doing, um, People are, but, but the feedback that I've heard from clients and people, um, they seem to be more appreciative uh, and enjoy the spaces more when the person working in them and building it for them really takes pride in what they're doing. And people say it was cooked with love or whatever. Uh, and, you know, the food supposedly tastes better when you know that someone who, someone made it with love. Um, I think that, that really there's a human connection there. It, it applies to the, to the built spaces. I like that analogy to cooking with love. Good. There we go. We got something good. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, I, I love cooking and I think it's, I think that that love is important. And I like that you, that you brought that into creating space and, and awesome. adding that, adding that human element because because you're right. People do appreciate something more when it, they know it was crafted by a hand. Right, you what ready? You got? <laughs> Best joke. Oh boy. Oh yeah. This crushes everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Um, so I don't, I, I don't have a, like a, a straight out standalone joke. However, my favorite, uh, thing to say that always gets good laughs when when talking about someone that's kind of i don't know keeps uh doing a lot of stupid stuff and then does something right is uh well broken clock is right twice a day 
in you know in reference to <laughs> someone making a lot of mistakes and then getting something right and everyone's like hey look they're really good at that thing well no a broken clock is still right twice a day what's your favorite tool um my paint sprayers hmm. there's probably nothing more satisfying to me than getting a perfect finish on something with a, with a paint sprayer and and using a paint I, I love them i love using the sprayers hvlp or i have both probably, I have you have it yeah i have a couple airless and i have an hvlp um i like the uh the, the extra skill involved with an HVLP. Um, a little more skill, a little more tinkering. You need to mix things and, you know, thin the paint and add stuff to it and to get it right. Okay. That's your favorite. What's your, what's the most useful tool? Uh, nowadays on a job site, my phone, the amount of stuff that you do with a phone on a job site that you never thought you would is insane. Where, what is your, where have you been all my life tool? There's a lot of them. Mm. But the one that comes to mind is probably the, uh, have you ever used the spring tools? The nail set, the spring nail sets? Yeah. Those are freaking awesome. To yeah, not they're need awesome. a hammer with you <laughs> and just walk around and pop all your nails in and do whatever and just keep it in. Awesome. Love that tool. Yeah, they're great. Okay, what's the best job site snack? Oh, beef jerky, maybe. It's easy. You can forget it in the car for weeks and it doesn't go bad <laughs> you can just reach in your back pocket and it's still there yeah it's always there <laughs> oh best job site jams definitely earth wind and fire oh <laughs> hey is there anyone is there anyone out there you want to give a shout out to gotta be brant brant taylor um just for being encouraging uh Man, if you've got anything to say or an idea jumping around in your mind or something, he's going to pull it out and, and <laughs> make you do something with it. I, I also, under yeah. I, I, also I also understand you're going to be on a new program of his sometime soon. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know all the details of when that's coming out, but uh, yeah, we, we've, been, we've been talking, um, so... Keep an ear out for that one too. And that'll be the tool hacker on Instagram somewhere. Brant was on the show in early this year in January. And for everybody out there, you've been listening to Eric Ruggiero of biophilic build, and you can see what he's up to on Instagram at biophilic build or on his website. Thanks for being on today, Eric. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mike. A lot yeah, of fun man. talking with you. You think you think uh, before we get off that we should to ask our listeners to leave a review and 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 subscribe so. to the podcast. I appreciate you giving me the time. Yeah, man. Um, Eric wants you guys to know that if you find yourself struggling with ADHD, ADD, wherever on the spectrum, that you can contact him. You can find him on Biophilic Build on Instagram, or you can find him on his website, biophilicbuild.com. He's here for you. 
if you want to hear more about what Eric's got to say, he's going to be one of the first guests on the Tool Hackers upcoming debut podcast series, which, as I understand it, is going to host a diverse range of discussions covering a broad spectrum of interesting topics like how to eliminate waste from construction formula and what's in his mysterious universal building envelope that he alluded to on our episode uh, on this pod in January and lots of other stuff. I'll be looking forward to that coming out sometime this summer and keeping an eye on the tool hacker. My shout out today goes to my friend Aaron Jones of Big Dog Construction. Aaron's been on the show. You guys might have heard that in the first season. He's a great guy and a great friend, and he's still a virtual friend. I hope to meet him face-to-face sometime soon. I really appreciate and admire Aaron because he's on Instagram every day posting tips, tricks of the trades for anyone to use. He lives by the rallying cry, apprenticeship is an obligation. His legacy is to pass the torch for the greater good. Today, he couldn't help himself. He's on vacation, and he saw some flashing that wasn't right. He explained what was wrong and how not to do it like this. He's a carpenter and a fixer by nature. Thank you, Aaron, from all of us. Join me next week where I'll be talking to unbuilders. These guys are deconstructing houses, recycling, repurposing, reusing. I know that none of us feel great about the amount of waste we produce. So this will be a very relevant conversation. If you enjoyed the show, learned something, or experienced affirmation about what you're doing, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, on the podcast app on your phone, or on my website, thecontractinghandbook.com. Wherever you listen, please subscribe to help get the show to more people like you. Remember, the work we leave behind us is our legacy, wherever we are in the world. Find me, Mike Kenoki, K-N-O-C-H-E, on LinkedIn Instagram at the Contracting Handbook, where there's always a conversation. Mike Kenoki, M I K E K N O C H E. That's all I got.